As we talked about being still, now we talk about being still and finding direction. And the 23rd Psalm is not a psalm just reserved for funerals. It is a psalm for life and how we are to live in the ups and downs and crisis moments of our life. And all the verbs in the psalm are present tense. You know this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A sheep can get cast or cast down, meaning that if they hit the wrong terrain and fall over, if it's not level, it's hard for them, if not impossible for them, to get back up. They can also get that way when they are when there's rain and their wool is wet and they've not been sheared and they're overweight by the weight of the wool. And they can fall down and be cast or cast down. And if the shepherd does not find that sheep in that condition within a matter of a few hours, the sheep will die. It is important for us to remember and to know that when there's a believer who is cast or cast down, they've gotten off the way. It's not for us to wait six months to see if they're going to get back. It is for us to go in that moment and in that hour, in that season, and to try to get them back up on their feet. There's an old shepherd's maximum, a, a rule for shepherds, and it is this. A down sheep is a dead sheep. A down sheep is a dead sheep. Why is it that in the church, those of you that have been in church for a while, somebody can be in church for a long time and then all of a sudden they disappear and you never see them again because a down sheep is a dead sheep. Because they've already been defeated, if not overwhelmed and destroyed by the devil because we didn't pay attention to the down sheep. A down sheep. A cast down, a turned over sheep is a dead sheep. And so direction, if we're going to get be still and get direction, it begins with restoration. That Hebrew word to restore means to restore vitality or vigor or strength, to get us back on our feet. Ezekiel 34:11 says, "For thus says the Lord God, "Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out." Now, Ezekiel in that verse is talking about Israel having been scattered into captivity and how God was going to bring them back. But the greater promise of that is that all of Israel, all the tribes, including the ten lost tribes that are not lost at all, God will one day bring all of the children of Israel back and that he will rule and reign as their shepherd. God is in the restoration business. Now, I would summarize broadly the three areas that he restores us in. 
First of all, he restores us from sin. We do not have to bear the weight and the guilt of sin. He restores us from our sin. He also restores us when we're stressed, when we're panicked, when we're worn out, when we're, when we're at the end of our rope, when we don't know how we're going to be able to go anymore. He restores us when we're stressed. So not only in our sin and not only in our stress, but he restores us in times of sorrow. In times of sorrow, he nurtures us, he restores us, he brings back vitality to our lives and to our hearts. Now remember from last week, sheep need two things to survive. They, they need grass, food, and they need water. And God restores us by feeding us. And the way he feeds us is out of his word. His word is bread and it is water. And you look at the scriptures, it's honey, it's meat. God restores us as we feed on his word. And so the living water and the bread of life give us restoration. So what we need to remember is God is not just sovereign over the universe. He's shepherd over his people. And as a shepherd, he provides for us. He nurtures us. He refreshes us. He renews us. Here's why you and I need that. As sheep, we are on our own, no match for Satan, who is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're no match for him. We can't fight that battle and win. We need someone to restore us and to shepherd us and to watch over us. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So he restores and he nurtures, he provides for us. He came not just to sustain life, but to give life. And he came not just to give life, but to give us abundant life that we could be productive with our lives and, and move in the grace of God and walk according to the will of God. And when you're down and when you're discouraged, when you're stressed out, when sin seems to overwhelm you, when you're walking through sorrow, you need to remember that you're not going to get yourself back in the right place. God restores his children. God will restore you. God will strengthen you. God will encourage you. God will refresh you. If you go to him, you will not be disappointed. If you go to the bookstore and try to get a self-help book, it's not going to help. You'll end up giving it to Goodwill and somebody else will get a cheaper self-help book that's not going to help them either. Go to God, the shepherd. Direction is not just about restoration. It's about following his path. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. He makes me. He leads me. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. It's a right path and it is a righteous path. The word path there is for something that is well-worn. A well-worn path. A, a track that has been gone over and over and over again until it, it's beaten down. It's hard. It, it, the stuff may grow on each side of it, but, but even on a well-defined path, sheep need a shepherd. Remember, they can walk 10 feet off the path and know not 
not have a clue about how to get back to it. They still need a shepherd to lead them and guide them and to keep them on the path. If you've ever been on a bus around the wilderness going out of Jerusalem and down toward the Dead Sea, you will see well-worn paths on these mountainsides that seemingly have nothing but rocks and dirt on them, but you can see paths that just wind back and forth that have been used by shepherds for centuries as they have walked in familiar places. They know where the grass will grow after certain rains. They know where the best places are for water. And so following the well-worn paths, they walk with the shepherd. J.I. Packer says that path implies behavior patterns that please God because they correspond to his commandments and match his moral nature. Now this world has got all kind of paths, all kind of road marks, and most of them are dead ends. And if you've lived long or talked to anybody, you hear things like this. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to listen to. And, and most people run their lives like they have a road atlas that has no names and no numbers and no directions of north, south, east, and west. And so they just get on a path and, well, that one didn't work for a while. I'll take this one. Well, that one didn't work for a while and I'll take this one. Well, that didn't work either and I'll take this one. And they bounce around from path to path to path and never go back to the well-worn path that's been proven to be the right path for centuries. Following God's word. Following God's path. Now, here's the problem. When you're walking on a well-worn path, if you get off one degree... Let's say you're walking according to the will of God and according to the word of God and you're walking his path. But you just decide one day just to get off just a little bit. And so you just kind of step off the path. And let's say the path is due north. And you just step off the path for a little bit and you keep walking. The further you walk, the further away you get from the path. And the further away you get from due north. And the further away you get from the will of God and the word of God, and you're walking out there, and here's what happens. All of a sudden, a crisis comes, stress comes, a problem comes, anxiety comes, and you go, oh, oh, wait a minute. Hold, hold on. i got to get back to the path. And you go straight across like this. Mistake. You know why it's a mistake? Because all the time you were walking off of God's path, there were things on that path that God was trying to teach you. And if you just go straight back across and don't go back here where you got off the path, then you have missed all the lessons God was trying to teach you. And you think somehow you're going to get all that by osmosis. And so you've missed all these lessons, all these opportunities for faith along this narrow path, this well-worn path, and you just come back. Why do you need to come back? Because... You come back to here, that's repentance. I go back to where I got off the path because I thought I was smarter than the shepherd. And so when I get off the path, I need to go back and tell the shepherd I got off his path and ask him to forgive me and repent. And then I can continue on my journey learning the things that I need to learn by walking the path the shepherd wants me to walk. You see, decisions have consequences. And the shepherd takes us on a certain path for a reason. If you read this psalm, you discover we're on a journey. And God knows the right path 
for your life. He knows the right pace for your life. And he has the right plan for your life. So when I'm walking on his path, it means I'm walking in submission to his plan. I'm walking in surrender to his pace. I'm not trying to run ahead of him. I'm not trying to lag behind him. Because the Spirit of God and the Word of God guide us into all truth. So when I'm walking the way that he wants me to walk, I'm not a double-minded man. I'm not thinking I'll walk my way and then I'll walk his way. Here's, here's why so many people get off the path. They've got one eye on the cross and one eye on something else that might be just as good. And so they think, you know, following Jesus is a great thing. I, I love following Jesus. I mean, the church is a great thing. Ooh, ooh, well, well, that looks good. Or she looks good, or he looks good, or that opportunity looks good, or that, that job looks good, or this thing looks good, or that. And all of a sudden, you're trying to walk a path with your eye on when and how can you get off the path. That's not going to end well. Because you're going to be away from the will of God because you're out of the Word of God, and the Spirit can't guide you into all truth if you're looking at false ways to find peace and false ways to find strength, and false ways to find hope. You've got to keep your eye on the path. That's why the Bible says we die daily. That's why it says we take up our cross daily. That's why it says we renew our mind is because we need to obey what God has said. And sometimes when people ask me and, and ask any staff member, sometimes when people say, well, I want to know what the will of God is for my life, Typically, what I will do is say, well, what's the last thing God told you? What? What's the last thing God told you? Well, he told me I ought to start tithing. Are you tithing? No, then he's not going to tell you anything else. Why would he tell a disobedient child that's going to continue to disobey him anything new? You know why we hit a roadblock? You know why we hit a grid? You know why we hit a wall? And all of a sudden, it seems like God doesn't speak to us anymore because God's not going to tell you anything else until you do the last thing he told you to do. I mean, hey, folks, if you're a parent, you understand that. Hey, did you make up your bed? No, but I'd like $5. Well, you're not going to get $5 till you make up your bed. Now, Mama... I really need $5. Everybody else's parents give them $5. Well, I'm not everybody else's parents. Go make up your bed. You just don't love me. <laughs> no. Parents are just trying to say, hey, do what I tell you to do, and I'll tell you something else, and you can get a reward for it somewhere down the road. What we want is a reward without the responsibility. We want all the blessings of God without obeying God. And the path is a path of obedience. When the sheep is walking on the path, the only thing he's got to worry about is, is the shepherd in charge? And if he is, hey, that's cool. Obey the truth you already know. So when we don't know and aren't sure, this is where we're in Philippians 4. Philippians 4. You need to remember two things. First of all, you need to remember the peace of God ruling in our hearts and the God of peace guiding your path the peace of God ruling and the God of peace guiding look at Philippians 4 verse 7 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He'll set a watch over your heart and over your mind. Finally, brethren, here's the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? This is part of it. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The Greek word for anxious means to be pulled in all directions. When you're feeling pulled in all directions, what do you need to do? You need the peace of God and you need the God of peace. You need to go to the Word. You need to think on these things. I love the way Williams translates Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. Let the peace that Christ can give keep on acting as umpire in your hearts. Let the peace act as umpire in your hearts. So I'm up to bat. It's time for me to go. I mean, I, you know, I'm at the plate. It's my time. I need to let the peace of God decide if that's a ball or a strike, if I ought to swing at it or if I ought to, ought to let the bat stay on my shoulder. I need to let the peace of God umpire, rule, have final authority over what's going on in my life. The peace of God and the God of peace. You see, it's not your name that is at stake in this. It's God's name. That God will do what he says he will do. Robert Ketchum, a preacher of another time, uh, preached a message on Colossians 1.19, and he gave an outline on knowing the will of God. It's a great outline, so I, I just wanted to include it today. It's free. It won't cost you anything extra. We've already taken the offering. Number one, you can know the will of God if you want to. Some people think they want to know the will of God, but they really don't want to know it. When I was in youth ministry, I can't tell you how many times I would end up talking to some student and they say, I want to do God's will, but I'm afraid he's going to send me overseas to do missions. Well, he might. He might not. What you're saying is you can't trust God with your life. God will show you his will if you want to do it, if you want it. Secondly, you can know the will of God if you want if you want to know it to do it and not to vote on it. Lord, I'd like to take your will under consideration, but I'm going to be the king of my own heart. And if I decide I don't want to do it, then I'm not going to do it, and you shouldn't penalize me for it. He said, God never reveals his will for us to consider. God reveals his will for us to obey it. So, you can know it to do it, not vote on it. And then you can know the will of God if you want to know it and do it because you love it. Because you love it. And to know the will of God doesn't mean that you're going to get a hayride with you know, no problems. It, it means that there are going to be some thorns on the roses. There are going to be some dips in the road. There are going to be some hiccups. There are going to be issues and problems. And so you need to know the will of God and the direction of God in times of desperation. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
This is a picture of God as the shepherd leading us safely to our destination. Now, this is a really the valley of deep shadows. The valley of deep shadows. It's located between Jerusalem and Jericho, somewhere outside of Bethlehem. It is such a deep valley that light cannot get to the bottom of it. There is no light at the bottom. So when a shepherd is walking his sheep through that valley, it's almost absolute darkness. And as they walk in there, the sheep can become afraid. That's why they need to hear the shepherd's voice. They may not even be able to see him, but they can hear his voice. And Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. This is a deep valley, a deep ravine. Now, Jesus would have walked through this valley. Going from Jericho to Jerusalem, he would have walked through this valley. This is probably the place where he talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the man is beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road to die in Luke chapter 10. In fact, at the time of Jesus, this valley was known as the way of blood because of wild animals and so many robbers. So Jesus is telling the story of the Good Samaritan, the people listening to him would have thought, oh, that reminds us of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 should remind us of the story of the Good Samaritan, that we have a responsibility when people are in the ditch to be good to them and to be kind to them and to nurture them and to pick them up. But it's also a reminder that God is there leading us in the valley. Hebrews 13, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he says, I fear no evil. Now this is important if you're going to understand how to be a good sheep. Sheep don't need courage to fight because they can't fight. They need courage to trust the shepherd. Where we need courage is the courage to trust the shepherd. Someone has said courage is faith that has said its prayer. The Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, the fear not, do not be afraid, don't be anxious. Hundreds of times in the Bible, God was here at the beginning, he's going to be here at the end, and he says, I'm going to lead you through this valley, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That doesn't sound very comforting, does it? You know what the rod was for? The rod was to beat away predators. I'm comforted by the fact that God, as my shepherd, can beat away the predators. That he can take care of them. That he will not let them come in without standing between me and the predator. The staff, a long stick with a crook on it, was used to correct a sheep, to maybe to hook it around his leg to bring him back in to line, or to tap on the side of the sheep, which was a reminder, get back in line, get back in line. By the way, rarely was a rod ever used on a sheep. It was used on a predator. And the staff was to bring us in line. Now, here's the deal. As a sheep, I have two enemies. I have two enemies. That's it. The devil and me. 
I'm my own worst enemy. You're your own worst enemy. So, oh, you don't know the family I'm in. You don't know. No, you're your worst enemy. The person you see in the mirror every morning causes you more trouble than anybody else. Paul said it this way, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Now, we like to blame the devil for everything, but the truth of the matter is sometimes we just got to look in the mirror and say, you know, it's my fault. I chose to get off the path. I chose to not listen to the Lord. I chose to have it my way. I chose not to listen to wise counsel. I chose not to be in the Word, and this is the mess I'm in, and you can't blame the devil for that. That was your stubborn will that did that. And sheep are not only dumb, but they are also very stubborn. And stubbornness can get you in as much trouble as sin can. But God has a rod to keep the predator away, and he has a staff to correct us and to draw us back in line. So guess what he uses a staff for? He uses a staff to pull the backslidden back, and he uses the staff to tap the brokenhearted on the side to say, I'm here. You're not alone. I'm here with you. The rod and the staff they comfort me. I'm comforted that God deals with my enemies, and I'm comforted that God deals with me in my broken heart. Though I walk through the valley. Now, the fact that it is a valley means it's opened at both ends. You're walking through it. You know, some of you need to stop waddling. I mean, you need to move on. You're not supposed to die in the valley of the shadow of the death. You're supposed to walk through it. And if you keep dragging it with you, and that's all you ever talk about and all you ever think about, you're never going to see the sunshine. You're never going to appreciate the sunrise. You're never going to appreciate all the things that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Walk through the valley. Don't waddle in it. Lost people should waddle in a valley because they don't know how to get out of it. Saved people ought to walk through it. They ought to walk through it. Why? Because we know that valley is not the end. It's not the end. It's not our resting place. It's a moment. It's a crisis. It's an experience. It's a setback that we're going through. But it's not the end. So it may be that on your way home in the car today, you just need to say to somebody, you really ought to stop waddling. Or maybe you just need to get on your knees and say to yourself, Lord, I'm really tired of waddling in the valley. Walk through the valley. There's a destination ahead. There's a purpose. There's a plan. When you walk through the shadow of death, just remember, somebody's already been there. Somebody's already been there. Three things, and then we're going to close. By knowing the one who has already walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I can deal with whatever I'm facing. Who's already faced everything I'll ever face? The Lord Jesus. If I know him, he's already walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He has tasted death. He has overcome death. Then I can face it, whatever it is that's stressing me. Secondly, by knowing the peace of God. And finally, by remembering it's a shadow. It's a shadow.
Here's where we miss God. We, we get into times of, of sharing testimonies and, and telling our stories and talking in our Sunday school class, and we say, well, I tell you what, so-and-so happened to me. Then somebody says, well, something worse happened to me. And then we start trying to top each other with our bad stories. Well, my story is worse than yours, and my situation is worse than yours. Well, where's the edification in that? I mean, everybody's got a bad story. Everybody's got a story about when the bottom fell out. Everybody's got one of those. What the world needs is the story of how you got through it by the grace of God. It reminds me often when I listen to Christians talk about somebody giving their testimony and say, okay, you got 10 minutes to give your testimony. And for nine and a half minutes, they tell you every drug they use every bottle they drank out of, every bar that they went to, every woman they slept with, every bad decision they made, every marriage that failed for nine and a half minutes, and then in 30 seconds they say, but Jesus changed my life and I've been happy ever since. Hey, your testimony ought to be more about what Jesus did than what you've done. It ought to be more about the grace of God than the wretchedness of your sin. Your story ought to be encouraging to somebody. If you're not encouraging people with your story, stop telling it. Because you're not helping the kingdom. If you're not encouraging people with your story, if you're not seeing God in the darkest moments of your life, then look up and start walking. Don't stay there. It will ruin your mind it will corrupt your family, and it will destroy your faith. It will wear you out, and at the end of the day, you will die old and bitter and angry because God gave you a raw deal. No, he didn't. You just decided to stay in the valley. I'll tell you, this is a psalm for living how we live. Yay! <laughs> Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How you doing? What's the balance of your conversations? About all the things that the Lord is doing and how the Lord is intervening and how the Lord is sustaining? Or every time you get a chance, you've got to tell somebody somebody done somebody wrong song. I mean, some people that I meet, their tombstone needs to read, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. Or as one tombstone reads, I told you I was sick. <laughs> Let me pray for us and then Stephen, you come. Father, we need direction. We need restoration. We need to walk in the knowledge and the awareness that this life doesn't win. You win. Because of your death, we have life. Because of your victory, sin has been defeated. And Lord, when we listen to the enemy who has a spirit of discouragement all around everything he does, we fall prey to the darkness of the valley. I pray that we'd get our eyes, we would lift our eyes unto the hills from whence comes our help. Our help comes from the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.